is the Beyond the Studio podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller. And we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll share honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. Since this is an adult podcast hosted by two young adults, there's a possibility of some adult language being used. If this might offend ears around you, be sure to pop in your headphones before listening to this episode. Well, on today's episode, we're excited to introduce you to Jennifer O'Mates, a painter and installation and book artist uh, with what seems like a very active studio practice. She has a BFA from the Cleveland Institute of Art and an MFA from Kent State University, uh, currently based in Ohio and really involved with her local arts community and is also a teaching artist. So Jennifer, thanks for being on Beyond the Studio. Oh, thank you so much. This is great. I, I definitely am a big fan. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Do you want to just give us a little bit more of a history of your own creative background and career path thus far? Sure. Um, so I've been, uh, you know, obviously making, I feel like since I was a kid, but um, I went to the Cleveland Institute of Art, um, you know, on my, my more professional career path. Uh, from 97 to 02, and when I went to the Institute, it was a, a five-year school. Um, that was their their full tract, um, and there weren't too many schools like that at the time. And then I, I took mm. um, a break from school for several years, and I, I guess we can kind of dig into that sort of period of my life a little bit, but uh, I lived sure. uh, out in Denver, Colorado for four years um, after I graduated from undergrad, and then I went to... Uh, um, Kent State came back and went to Kent State and got a full ride uh, on teaching scholarship. And mm, that's great. You know, afterwards, I, I sort of hit the ground running and started teaching and showing and um, things have sort of just progressively evolved since slowly, but I progressively, I would say. Yeah, I wanted to ask about you showing your work because from what I've seen, you were it's like you've just constantly got stuff out there. Yeah, I've been showing, I feel like nonstop almost since I graduated from undergrad in 2002. So I, I feel like my career has been slowly developing and there's been, so, you know, a few bumps in the road on the way, which of course I think everybody's going to experience. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of lessons I've learned along the way from, you know, moving halfway across the country to uh, taking a giant break you know, in between undergrad and grad, um, there are pros and cons to that. And I don't know if you want me to mm -hmm. get into the specific pros and cons now. Yeah, why not? Yeah, we can kind of move chronologically, but um, really just kind of want to hear a little bit about some of those those highlights first off. So maybe you could tell us just a little more about those first years after undergrad and um, that period when you moved to Denver. So um, when when I graduated from undergrad, um, I graduated in, I don't know if you know the artist Sarah McKenzie. She was um, uh, teaching sure at the Cleveland Institute of Art at that time. And she's like, Jen, you know, okay. you really need to go out west. You should really go to Denver and, uh, you know, check out these galleries. They have a really active scene there. And this is back in 2002. And the gallery scene was not what it is now, which is really robust in Denver. So I, I went out there and... Um, I got in touch with some family. I had an uh, aunt and uncle living out there at the time, and my cousins were living out there, and uh, they had a hot dog cart business. So they sold hot dog cart. They sold hot dogs, <laughs> um, and uh, they were like, "Jen, do you want a job?" And I was like, "Oh, uh, okay." So I sold hot dogs. 
<laughs> during the day and I made art at night. And then I started, um, you know, I, I realized after a few months of this, I was like, man, I can make a living. I can have a studio practice. I was making good money. I was making between three and 4,000 a month just selling hot dogs. Just selling hot dogs. Yes. Yes. Honest to God. <laughs> Why am I not in the hot dog? <laughs> We're all rethinking our trajectories. Got to get into the hot dog business. I was like, yeah, I could do this. I could have, like, you know, I can afford paint. I can afford good paint and mm -hmm. I can uh, figure all this out. So um, at the time, I was just out there for the summer in 02 and then I came back and got everything. And I also uh, met this guy who became my husband. And I was like, mm -hmm. hey, by the way, do you want to go to Denver with me? And he's like, well, sure, why not? So, you know, we went out to Denver. We ended up getting married. Uh, we actually got married on a glacier. Oh, my oh, goodness. Wow. So in between undergrad and grad, I got married, you know, had this big moving experience and um, just started working at it. And when I first got out there, obviously I was, I was working full time with this, you know, food job. Uh, but I began to meet pretty much everybody in Denver from your local contractor to artists they would come through the stands. So I began to meet slowly Oh wow! all the people in Denver. And then I started getting all these artists, um, part-time jobs selling hot dogs. So, you know, there was like this little, like, Oh knit. my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, but the, the thing was, um, I started showing at a place called the assembly, which was like a co-op gallery. Uh, there were a lot of co-op galleries during that time. Uh, it was uh, pirate, there, there was another one, I'm, I'm forgetting the name right now, and then there was the assembly, which was like by portfolio, and you have to have, you had to have had like a certain amount of like art school experience, or your work had to have a certain kind of a profile to it, and then that just sort of progressed into me saying, oh, well, I want to, you know, eventually get into this gallery, I want to get into this sort of way of making work, and um, I just went from the co-op to uh, getting into group shows to getting into the gallery that I really wanted to be in, and uh, it, you know, it took a few years, but with hard work, mm -hmm. it really does happen. That was a really uh, informative and strong period. And, and along the way, you know, I, I began to know everybody in the community. A good friend of mine uh, by the name of Katie Taft um, started this lecture series called Self Made. And she interviewed artists, much like mm -hmm. you guys are doing, uh, who were... Yeah, I wanted to hear about that. Yeah, who, who were like in the, in the midst of going from whatever educational period in their life to uh, making a body of work to working on a special project and they could be you know dancers musicians they they could have been graphic designers you know all walks of the arts were welcome in terms of the series and in sharing their stories and so these were live gatherings that, yeah yeah um, people would come to okay so it's very local it was very local they we all came to yeah. um, get a free pizza on tuesday night at double daughter salado oh, that's great I'm surprised it wasn't free hot dogs. No, no, no. <laughs> I wish. I guess you can only have so many hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too many. And we had turkey dogs, so that was, you know, that was somewhat somewhat kosher there. Okay. I also love the fact that you're sort of building out this community just through bringing other artists into, um, you know, the job that you had. And it makes me think of, um, you know, artists like Richard Serra or Philip Glass kind of um, making a moving company together or, you know, artists who've kind of banded together and created their own businesses to sort of fulfill that day job um, aspect of their practice. So it's really cool to hear about, you know, you doing that too and kind of forming this own community that helps support each other. Yeah, I, uh, I was really, you know, thankful to offer, I think it was about 
three or four artists uh, at the time, and and it was through building that small network that I was able to, you know, allow other some other people to to come in and and work with the hot dog cart business <laughs> afterwards. Mm-hmm. Backtracking a little bit, you know, on Tuesday nights we'd have these lecture series, and those were huge for me because everybody who was really interested and kind of like-minded, you know, got together on Tuesday nights. And this was before, I'm, I'm saying this like, you know, this was circa 2004, 2005. So 12 years later, I feel like Denver's like this, you know, it's really this budding mecca for um, an arts community right now in, in smack in the middle of the country. And, you know, I was there during that time where it was just starting to catch fire. Um, and, and I feel really, really fortunate to have had those experiences and to, to know, you know, Adam Lerner before he was, uh, the director at the MCA and, um, mm-hmm. my good friend, uh, Laurent Lynx-Murphy and Katie Taft, Rick Griffith, you know, all, all these, um, amazing artists and amazing minds that really kind of helped shape the city. You know, I was really fortunate to be, be around during that period. So in, in 2006, I had to come back to Ohio cause my mom got really sick and I had to help her out mm-hmm. with, you know a lot of things that were happening and I ended up moving back with my husband and being like, oh my gosh, what's next? <laughs> you know, so uh, I went back to school and um, I applied to two places. I applied to Bard mm-hmm. and Kent State and Kent State gave me a tuition waiver um, and a teaching scholarship. That's great. You got to go where the money is, <laughs> especially when it comes to school. So grad school, you know, I, when, when I was done, I, I walked out with no debt whatsoever. Wow, that's incredible. That is the dream. Did you feel like grad school was always in the cards for you? Like, was that something that you had thought about um, doing? Or was it more spurred by, you know, moving back to Ohio and then being in this kind of new arts community and, and you know, plugging back into that? Um, I knew I definitely wanted to go back to grad school. You know, I came back to Ohio and uh, it, it, on a on a more somber note, my mom passed, and then I did a lot of reflection about mm-hmm. what do what do I want to how do I want to sculpt my life? You know, mm-hmm. how am I going to paint things? Because um, I, I started doing a lot of thinking about you know her legacy and what my legacy is, and I was like, that's it. I got to go back to school and I got to figure out what's next because that was the most logical step for me, but that was like a really solid answer for me at the time. Yeah, I just applied to BARD because I had gone to the Cost School of the Arts in 2000 um, and I did a summer program there and I absolutely loved the faculty uh, and I loved the energy and I loved the fact that um, there were these really amazing artists that were teaching and it was um, uh, like a summer residency program and I think it still is for their MFA. So you go several months in the summer and then you have, I think, a mentor elsewhere, wherever, wherever else you live. And then you, you go back for that like summer intensive for three summers. And I was really interested in that format for graduate school because I, you know, I had spent so many years outside of school. So I was used to working with in a community setting and earning a wage and, you know, like having more of a, right. a fluidity to my life. So, um, yeah, the bard thing didn't work out at the time. I didn't get in, uh, but I, I got a full ride to Kent, so I was like, okay, let's do it. Mm-hmm. So um, I was living at Lyndhurst, uh, which is a, a suburb outside of Cleveland at the time, and the commute was killing me. It was like a 45-minute commute every day, and I had to be here every single day, and I was like, that's it. I'm just going to move to Kent, and yeah been here ever since. Wow. So that was a little more traditionally formatted in that you were going to school full time and it was a a two year program. Yeah. Well, um, I went for, I was actually there for two and a half years, uh, from, from my master's. 
because uh, I had a little bit of uh, a family event happen again, I'll say it that way, I decided to extend my thesis and actually, uh, you know, just put a lot more energy into the show, into writing the, the thesis paper and to really making sure it's mm-hmm. what I wanted to exit with. And um, I would recommend that to anybody who's in a master's program just to really not rush it and, and get what they need out of the final year or six months or whatever it is. Um, because you're going to say, you know, you're going to, you're just going to leave on a solid note. And, and I felt that that was uh, some gratification that I had from grad school. Mm-hmm. So yeah, afterwards I was lucky I got a teaching job um, in Ohio and um, I've been teaching part-time ever since. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of my educational trajectory right there. Yeah. Did a lot of the other artists that you went to grad school with stay local? Did that also help you get plugged back into that arts community when you moved back to Ohio? You know, it's it's funny. When I came back to Ohio, a lot of people remember me from undergrad. It was a fine art school, but um, I was really, really active. I did PR for um, the Student Independent Exhibition one of the years that I was there. When I exited, I did a 35 millimeter film and I did a body of paintings. So I became oh, wow. a little bit of a, um, an edge in that I was doing that. Um, I ran the student newspaper when I was there. I was the editor of the student newspaper. So super, super active. And uh, people kind of remembered me, which was awesome. Um, So when I came back to town, everybody's like, oh, Jen's back. So I kind of had that niche. And then, uh, you know, I I just started going to openings in Cleveland. And I started remembering, you know, certain galleries and meeting people. And I was just, I guess I was never really afraid of going out and walking up to someone and saying, hey, you know, I'm Jen Omates. This is, the show's really great. Or just sort of introducing whatever I'm doing. So I think that was, uh, that was something I learned from undergrad. I took the seminar class when I was in my fifth year with Dan Tramberg. Um, And he uh, really encouraged us to go out to galleries, to go to every show that we possibly could go to, whether we were interested in it or not, and just kind of understand what the the landscape of the gallery was or what the landscape of like the the artists or the the sort of vibe of people that were coming to see that show were. And it became um, a social environment. And I think that, that, you know, constantly getting used to that practice became really important to me. So, you know, I think that there's... There's this idea that artists work in um, a vacuum and it it should be completely and totally shattered because our practice is social, it's private, it's public, it's, you know, it's it's everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know when I left school, that was one of the things that I missed the most was just being in that creative community where I was constantly around other people and having people look at my work and talk to me about it and just being inspired by being around other creatives And it's hard to find that sometimes, but it's so, I feel like it's so necessary just to have that kind of community. Yeah, and I felt like when I was, um, when I came back from Denver, you know, I worked really hard at figuring out who that community was when I was in Denver. Um, And it's like I had to reinvent it or reinvent that Mm -hmm. knowing who's who all over again. Um, and it was like, um, it was like, it was a good challenge. It was almost like a game, like a puzzle, like, okay, who's still here? Who's writing for the paper? You know, who's the curator of this museum? 
uh, you know, like, you know, just finding out who and, and what everybody's doing. Um, uh, not that I'm like, you know, sitting there being some sort of a weird profiler, but I'm just, I'm interested because, <laughs> you know, the, there, there are people that I want to have these serious and honest conversations with. And there are these people that are, are going to help my career. And there are these people that might have advice from me that could change my life or can change the direction of how I'm creating something. So I, I think that that's, it's more so, you know, not that you're you're a strange person. It's that you're dialing into that vibe, um, and you're dialing mm-hmm. into that, you know, that energy, and that, that's part of the game. That's it. You know, it's it's this this mind. It's this giant mind. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely relate to that. Having just moved um, to a new city, also about eight months or so ago, I moved out to San Francisco here, and. It's just been a lot of that, trying to, you know, keep my eyes and ears open to what's going on and familiarize myself. And I'm thankful for things even like Instagram before I moved out here was a way just to kind of, you know, follow other galleries and artists and try and get a sense for what's going on. And um, now that I'm out here, you know, I've started to meet um, people too, but it definitely, um, it takes a lot of time and energy. And that's something that I even um, struggle with still just figuring out how to, you know, get out there and, and really make the time for it. And even just earlier today, um, I had a studio visit with one of our earlier guests, Nick Hullabarger. And so I was talking with him and um, he had, had just mentioned that idea of, uh, you know, being present and being there and being around and just showing up to things and how that really can go such a long way. So it's great to hear that because I think, you know, it, it clearly you seem really well connected to your um, the local arts community and, you know, really in- involved and, and actively showing. And so just to know that, you know, that really comes as a result of just tapping in and getting to know people and, um, you know, things come. And, you know, even if you're at someone's opening and you just, you know, tug them on the arm and say, hey, I, I just really like, you know, if you get very serious with them just for like 90 seconds, they'll remember that. And even if it's somebody you don't know very well, like they're going to walk away that night and they're going to they're going to hear a lot of compliments, but they're going to remember somebody who is really astutely connected to their work that that comes back later on. It really does. Um, and, I, and I learned that yeah. in undergrad and I I followed it and I practiced it and I've reciprocated it, you know, for people that have, have come to openings of mine and, you know, given me those compliments. I've done studio visits with them and uh, I think it's it's an ongoing practice, for sure. And I wanted to ask how you're finding all of the showing opportunities that you have. Are you just actively creating them or just every call for entry you submit or you're just constantly making those connections to get your shows? Um, so recently, it's uh, people have been inviting me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was uh, a strange comment, my my grad school professor, when I was at Kent State, he said that I, I sort of changed um, in in grad school from making paintings to making installations that would like encompass my studio and they would be this giant build out. Um, he's like, well, people are going to invite you places now. And and I thought, I, I, I like kind of thought it was a joke, but it, he was, it was, it was serious. Like I got invited to 2010 Biennial of the Americas in Denver through, I mean, that was through invitation. The show that I just had at the Rife Gallery mm-hmm. in Columbus, which was an amazing opportunity. I was invited by Richard Fletcher, and he found me just by doing a Google search on assemblage. Oh, wow. On collage and assemblage. Um, he was like, he, he typed in Ohio, Ohio artist and assemblage, and my work came up. Wow. There's There's been quite a few uh, situations like that where people have just 
invited me to things just through, you know, having the right meta tags in your website. Wow. I've been really fortunate about that. Uh, and other things of, uh, you know, I've applied to shows and more recently the, the fellowship that I just got at the Akron Soul Train, which I'd love to talk a little bit more about, uh, was through an application process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was one of the three finalists for that. Awesome. Yeah, go into more about that. So um, it's a it's an artist residency slash village, and the village portion of it is being built as we speak. But it's going to really empower and connect the community, um, granting fellowships and resources in multiple creative disciplines to really kind of re-energize and uh, create a more uh, vibrant downtown Akron. It's in the north side, or it's situated in the north side district of um, Akron, Ohio. It's also going to serve as kind of like a magnet to um, attract and promote artists and different artistic expression. It'll be like an ongoing artist residency, and they'll have classes there for teenage and youth, and they'll have um, workshops, and local residents can engage and, you know, come and visit artists at that space, and they'll be lectures. So it's it's really going to be like a, a, a really informative kind of nucleus to, to downtown Akron. And there were three artists that were chosen for this Falls residency. So it was me, Stephen Tomasco, and Michelle Droll. And Michelle Droll and I actually went to undergrad together at the Cleveland Institute of Art. Oh, wow. Super cool. We were we were studio mates. Our studios were right across from one another. So that was, uh, it was a very familiar uh, face to, to have in that roster. Oh, and there's um, one other president, um, uh, Danny Volk. Oh, exciting. Yeah. So uh, there's there's that. When everything's finished, you'll actually be able to, or artists will be able to live on site in the residency. It's not quite ready right now. So I get to, to work in my studio, but have some really amazing opportunities. So are you going through that right now? Or once it's fully built out, you'll go and live there for a period of time while you're working alongside them? So the the show that I think we're all going to have one large show at the residency, which will be ready in December. But my portion okay. of the residency, which is a month, uh, goes from October 1st to the 30th. Okay. It's, it's forthcoming. It's forthcoming. The project that I'm doing is actually involving Akron area artists. So uh, mm -hmm. I proposed two different projects. One of them was dependent upon a finished res or a finished space. Um, which is n not going to be guaranteed. So the other mm -hmm. project that I had is uh, something similar to a show that I've done before called Other Geometries, uh, but it, it deals with working with other artists that have kind of an eclectic or funky practice. And we kind of do an, an exchange and a collage kind of uh, a piece, similar to kind of Kurt Schwitter's doing Mertz. You know, where he would do those little miniature collage assemblages where he would, you know, sit down with somebody and say, hey, well, I've got this stuff and, and you've got that stuff. Let's just kind of like play chess and collage for a little bit. So it's it, it, it's mm -hmm. a little bit more specific than that. But it it sort of taps into that mindset that you can make art coming from two different mindsets and um, bringing it together. And it can be really exciting. And it's it's tapping into that like you know, grassroots, uh, nucleus, excitement moment. And that's kind of, that's the project that I'm going to pursue while, while my residency is happening. Oh, that's great. You've done multiple residencies, right? I've only done the Vermont Studio Center and then this. Mm -hmm. 
So this will be technically the second one. And uh, how did you get connected with the first one? Yeah, I actually did them in um, 2015 as well. Okay. Yeah, it's a great residency. It's I believe it's the largest artist colony (laughs) in the country. So they have tons of artists coming through. It was it was great. Where did you where Mm -hmm. where did you stay at for your residency? I oh boy. Oh no, I don't even remember the name of the housing. My studio, it was sort of like the the one that was up the street right next to the gas station. Barbara White. There you go. Barbara White. Yeah. Thank you. I was in Barbara White. That's where my studio was. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> I I, uh, I always went and like searched whoever was on the the um, margin of the door when I was there. I was like, okay, who was here last month? Yeah, I thought that was so nice. So they have um, along the door frame all of the past residents in that studio will sign it, and you can see. I mean, over the years they've certainly painted over um, a number, but um, there are still you know several feet or so of names listed, and then the dates that they were there. So, yeah, it's really cool to to be able to scan through and recognize other artists that have worked in it in the past. Um, and I thought one of the best things just about being there too was getting to meet so many different artists. And I had actually kind of accidentally um, crossed over two waves of artists coming through. So I was there from like the middle of the month to the middle of the next month. So there were like 50 or 60 artists for the first two weeks that I got to know. And then they all left. And then a new wave of artists came in for the second two weeks. Um, So it was a little strange um the the timing but i think it really you know got me introduced to twice as many um artists as otherwise so it's really great for that community aspect too yeah and i I also felt like um uh, the Vermont Studio Center was it was very similar to being an art school in a way because there were lectures and there were mm-hmm. poetry readings um, and there was karaoke night of course yeah <laughs> there's like so Johnson Vermont also Amanda is like a super tiny small town where you have mm-hmm. like the one bar the one little you know pizza place and then the one you know it's just like one little block um, so the Vermont Studio Center is like very much the majority of the, that little area and so there's the one bar has karaoke nights every weekend that basically all of the residents just overtake and then there's like a handful of like local people hanging out too but <laughs> that was that was my favorite part yeah <laughs> I made a lot of art there and uh, I went in and I my my plan when I was at the Vermont Studio Center was just to do paintings while you're a resident there you can elect to give a lecture like a very short five minute or 10 minute lecture on your work. And I decided, oh yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go for it, I'm gonna do it, even though I get really nervous when I do big public lectures. Yeah, good for you. I chickened out on that one. I, I totally did it. Um, and, uh, and I showed my sculptural work and I can't tell you how fantastic that was because people were coming up to me afterwards and asking me, well, why don't you try this, this, and this with some of the paintings in your studio? So that really opened up a dialogue that I wasn't prepared to have mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, and it it dramatically helped me shape the work that I'm even doing now. So I, I felt like that residency was so powerful, and I would recommend it to anyone, absolutely anyone. I do want to plug Res Arts for those people um, who are going to be listening in the future who don't know about it. Um, are you referring to the uh, the residency uh, like database? That's a place for um, people to be able to search. Um, Res Artists. Yeah, that's it. It's A R T I S. Yeah, resartist.org. But it's, I think it's a great hub for um, young artists or established artists that are just kind of like going through that, okay, it's time for me to get that, that creative spurt again back in, 
into the work or into the practice. From time to time, I, I go through and look at that. But, you know, the, the uh, Akron Soul Train just sort of happened. Somebody suggested mm-hmm. that I apply for it, and I did, um, and I got it. And uh, it's, it's not just like a normal residency, or it hasn't been so far. Um, it's been mm-hmm. more of um, like, let's promote and help you grow your career opportunity. Mm. Oh, it hasn't it, so far. Like I have, you know, multiple uh, interviews lined up. I have. I'm working with a new gallery. I'm working. Um, I'm giving oh. a public lecture at the Akron Art Museum in November. Um, I'm doing a workshop on collage. Uh, like all these new things are. They're helping me with sort of branch out into to all these different avenues. So even though the I think the residency is new, it's going to be really powerful. So um, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, that's amazing to hear. I wanted to ask also a little bit about the relationship between your different modes of working, because I know in addition to painting, you also do installation work and some bookmaking as well. And so I'm curious to know a little bit more about how all those practices influence one another. Um, And then also on the practical end of it, if any of you know, your production in that type of work is uh, affected by, say, like space or materials. I'm thinking more so about your installation work, but just how you are sort of, you know, working across all of those uh, disciplines. Uh, that's a good question, because that's, that's, you know, the, the catch-22 these days. It's like, how do I do it all? You know, how, do, how am I a jack-of-all-trades? <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think the word yep. balance is key there. And, um, you know, if I could talk about the bookmaking or or rather the marbling. So a couple of years ago, I took a class at the Morgan Paper Conservatory, a master marbling class. And was this just on a whim? Like you were just kind of interested to try it out? Or had you done anything like that before? I've never, it's kind of, it's mono printing on water, basically, or or it's, you know, you do a single print on um, ink that's floating on water. This water is thickened with something called carrageenan, which is a, a red Irish seaweed moss. It's sort of you know, was interested in that type of effect, that painterly type of effect. I didn't know how to achieve it on a professional level. And by professional, I think I was thinking of repeating patterns or ornate color patterns. And, you know, there there's fluid art um, or there are other kinds of ways that you can achieve that technique with uh, materials, regular um, commercially available painting materials, but it just wasn't the same. So I really wanted to take the class to to find out. Mm-hmm. And, and my hobby has always been bookmaking, artist bookmaking. So in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, well, maybe one day I'll get into bookmaking again. And man, I was hooked. I was totally hooked when I took this class because I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm dropping the paint on top of the water. And I'm like that. This is it. This is it. Like all the lessons in life are right in front of me as I'm doing <laughs> this process for the first time. I know, I, and I felt like a kid, but I felt like a kid that was learning so much every time I was doing this. I just kept on practicing. I, I went and uh, I, at the end of the the two day session, the two day workshop, I just I just started figuring it out. Like every couple of weeks, I'd I'd fill it with more carrageenan, and you know, I'd start to figure out the process and and push myself, and I started researching it and. You know, I was like, man, I'm I'm producing all this paper. I got to do something awesome with it. So I taught myself how to make books. I, I went on YouTube and I started uh, looking at all these tutorials and I started uh, making blank cards and giving them away to every artist friend that I, I had in the country. Mm-hmm. I put this uh, email out on Facebook. I said, hey, if you want a marbled card, just send me your, your mail address. And that's 
that's kind of what started the interest. I want a marbled card. <laughs> yeah, add us to the list. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, there's. Uh, I, I just started it that way, and that turned into a small business. Like people wanted to to wow. buy everything that I produce. So now I, as of last year, I started JC Marbling, which is wow, a small uh, marbling and bookbinding business. Yeah. I love it. And for uh, in school, I did a studio concentration in bookmaking. And so I'm just like loving this so much right now. And I haven't I haven't done any marbling and I had no idea that they used uh, I never know if, if it's carrageenan or carrageenan. But I, I just always noticed that in like soy milks or almond milks. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's the binder. <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't. I mean, on a side note, you probably shouldn't have those products that have the. Yeah, yeah. Not for consumption. Great for bookmaking. <laughs> great for bookmaking. <laughs> But um, they really do, you know, make a good barista drink. They really do make an awesome barista drink when, when that's in the, the almond milk. It's true. It holds up so much better. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm hooked. And, you know, it's, it's like every, every couple months I teach myself a new binding. So right now I'm trying to get into the secret Belgian binding. I mean, like, I'm, I'm a complete Ooh. geek when it comes to bookmaking, but yeah, I see that as almost being a completed painting. If I can compare it to my painting process for a second, you know, I, I see that as being a begin, a middle, and an end to itself in terms mm. of having a completed process. I mean, to me, it's fun. It, it has a duration to it, but it has, like, an end point. And I think sometimes with the paintings that I'm doing right now, I don't ever really know the end point. I mean, that's a totally different headspace. It's a totally different journey to think about on a conceptual level. For me, that practice of marbling and making books over the last year, uh, year and a half-ish, has completely reinvigorated my studio practice. Because oh. that daily practice of, like, I, I make a book or two every day. I bind a book or two every day. And it's just like something I have to do. You know, so some people wake up in the morning and do yoga or they, they go for a run. Um, before I go to sleep at night, I make a book. Like, that's my practice. But it's also kind of put me in that creative mind frame. So that, that means, like, okay, maybe I walk into my studio and I can just do a few things and to this painting and maybe this painting where I can maybe mix, like, four or five different colors, have them ready for the morning. Like, it, it's gotten me back into that rhythm that I felt like when I got really, really caught up in teaching... Um, and sometimes I'll teach anywhere between three and five classes per semester, which is a pretty heavy load. You can you can get lost in just wanting to be the best professor possible. You can get you can kind of lose part of your discipline in the studio. And I feel like that you know by picking up this other practice, it's actually completely reinvigorated my my studio practice and also just my organizational skills. So that's you know that was my recipe for you know kind of finding success in the studio again. Make a book. Yeah. Wow. And I, I can second that for sure, because I had said in previous episodes, but I went to school for photo and I got so burnt out on it that when I started sewing, it just felt like a whole new, a whole new me with creating and sometimes just putting down what you're normally doing and trying a different technique or a different type of art making can really kind of get the creative juices flowing again. And I don't know if you know about, oh, my camera's not working. I can't even show you. But uh, if you um, have heard about the book, How to Make Books by Esther K. Smith, and it's this like beautiful book that breaks down um, all the different types of binding, and it gives you tutorials, and there are really beautiful photographs and illustrations in it. And it's also just a great book to hold in your hands, because I think it's 
I want to say that the cover, it's, uh, it's like just bare bookboard, um, and it's letterpressed, and it's gorgeous. I love it. So if you have not seen it, I think you'd like it. I think I've, I've seen it maybe on Amazon when I had one of those like late night hungerings for, okay, what am I going to order next? <laughs> well, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I'll definitely put that, put that down in the, in, the, in the order. I also love how that kind of in a circuitous way brought you back to, or really became a part of your studio practice, but something that I think we talk a lot about and, and are thinking about too is how to maintain your, your creative work as a practice uh, amongst you know, all the other obligations that, that we have and also kind of giving equal importance to all of our, our interests, which a lot of times I think are really diverse as artists and not necessarily boxing yourself in either. So I love how you talk about this and even how you talked about your time at the Vermont Studio Center where you came into it thinking you were going to just be doing painting and then you started to um, kind of open up your mind a little bit to other modes of working and um, so I, I love hearing stories like that because you know sometimes it takes just totally stepping away from the work that you kind of think you should be doing or you know that you consider your to be your art practice and and doing something that feels totally outside of that to kind of bring you back to it or reinvigorate it or help you to be more consistent with it um, and I know that's something that I struggle with because my studio is is kind of far from my home and so getting back and forth there and, and getting into the mental headspace um, so both time-wise and then also just mentally kind of keeping that rhythm um, is really difficult so maybe I just need to do something that's not really painting at all and it'll bring me back to it. Well you know it's interesting that you you, you sort of point those key like this practice can weave back into this one and I think with mm -hmm. installation I approach installations as if they were paintings so you know fat over lean the the recipe mm -hmm. fat over lean um when when I I, I build out uh, I'll do a base form first which is like the fat or the the heavier heaviest part of the structure so I consider that like the underpainting in a way and then I start building the really thin more detailed more technical portions on the very, very tips or the very ends of the installations. And um, for those people that are hearing this that have never, ever seen my installations before, um, they basically look like a hurricane suspended from a wall in a topographical view. <laughs> yeah, they're amazing. We'll link to your website and everything um, separately so that people can check it out, but you should if you're listening. But that has informed my paintings um, in a new way. You know, I've always been interested in abstraction. I've always been interested in uh, languages that revolve around design and architecture and, you know, branching out even further, experimental cinema, just phenomenology. You know, I've been interested in all these different things. And I think by making installations and making some three-dimensional structure and coming back into the, the physical process of painting and just the headspace of making a painting, which I want to say is for me is very different than making an installation. It's really charged my my painting practice. It's a, it's given me permissions to do certain things that I couldn't before. So I, I feel like when I'm making anything, um, I'm thinking about how all these other practices have given me an experience to allow me to just open that idea of creating up even even further. It makes sense. Uh talking to you about your work, seeing your work, because it, it seems like so much of your kind of creative personality comes through your work in the fact that you work with such a wide variety of materials and in such a wide variety of ways. And there you are practicing what you preach, like you're challenging yourself to try new things. And it 
it works. <laughs> like, your work is incredible. When I first saw it, I was like, yes, we got to get her on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and it's all speaking the same language, which I, I think is really great to see, too. So you're moving across all these disciplines and working with all these different materials. But I think there's a real sense that, you know, there is this this connectedness um, between these different modes of working, which I think we've we've talked about, too, about that in relation to your career path, kind of weaving the threads together between maybe all these divergent activities or things that you're involved in. Um, but I, and I think that's something that, you know, especially as artists, we are maybe a little more predisposed to, to do that because that's the way that we're thinking about our work. You know, we're trying to, to take these, these themes, ideas, or, or concepts from one mode of working to the next and being able to kind of see how all those things connect, I think is really key. Um, and also, you know, a good way of Kind of approaching your life and career, even seeing how, you know, working at a hot dog stand can relate to your artistic practice and be a way to build creative community, um, I think is so awesome. So, But when are the hot dogs going to be in the installations? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> never, never. <laughs> I'm asking for the people. <laughs> never. Um, no, no more hot dogs. No way. We're, we're doing veggie we dogs bring now. It up again. All veggie dogs. <laughs> Same here. Uh, oh, I love it. The idea of, um, you know, just cross-pollinating the work has, it's taken, you know, it, it didn't happen overnight. Like most people think that, mm -hmm. oh yeah, they just figured that out and they just, you know, whatever artists you're looking at, they just like automatically came up with it. And this has taken years and years. So I, I graduated, uh, or I, I, was, I finished grad school in 09 and, you know, it's just been in the last couple of years that I've let really mm -hmm. everything sort of interweave. And it takes a while to allow yourself to say, yes, you can do this. To have no fear and see what happens. It's hard to give yourself that freedom in the work because you have all these other voices circulating from something that you've read to a professor to a critic that came into your space that said, you know, something very specific and, and awkward that stuck with you. It's hard to filter out all, all of those other voices and just kind of do whatever your gut's telling you to do. And, and I'm mm -hmm. by no means have I found the perfect recipe for my work yet, but I'm allowing more of that to uh, more of uh, those things that I like in our artistic practice and just those things, meaning like colors, or architectural designy things. I'm just allowing them to congeal now. I'm not letting those other voices in and I'm having fun with it. So I think that that's... Yeah, what more can you ask for? <laughs> I think that it must be really a learned skill because I, I think the artists whose you know, work we really recognize and identify with, it's because it is so idiosyncratic you know it, it becomes so distinctive because I'm sure just over time they really allowed themselves to dive further and further into those interests and those you know things that are uniquely them um, and that comes across in the work yeah but I, I think it takes um, a while for them to find it too you know I you know I can mm -hmm. rattle off a, a list of artists that I really admire and you know I absolutely love their work but it, it they had to go through their own periods of saying I'm giving myself this freedom, mm -hmm. or maybe their freedom has always been inherent. That's even better. For me, it, it's taken me some time, you know? So it's it's been, what, eight years since uh, graduating from my MFA that I, I feel like I'm really starting to be on a steady track now. And I, I think that's important to note that, you know, it's not going to happen right away for some people. Some people, yes, and some people, mm -hmm. not so much. 
Um, and, you know, I'm always looking for those stories where, okay, maybe it didn't happen right away for this artist or that artist. And, and it's definitely, that's been my, my reality is that I've just had to figure things out. But I, I never gave up and I never stopped showing. That's part of my, my career path there. Yeah, and I really think that every artist's story is a story of persistence, you know, just um, if it is something that, you know, you, you feel compelled to do that you want to continue doing for your lifetime, then it, it really is something that gets built up over that time so just playing that long game is good to remember I'd love to hear a little bit just about how how you're balancing your time you've talked you know over the the years the various um, things you've been involved with and it sounds like now you're teaching and you also have your marbling business and then um, your studio practice is there anything that we missed out on um, that you'd want to mention that's like everything <laughs> right there that's, that's a lot um, you know I you know I am married mm -hmm. so I, I, I have a husband and you know I help make dinner and like you have a life yeah <laughs> that's good I have two really big furry dogs so I have to deal with that no I, I think also one of the things that I've heard you guys talk about on previous podcasts also along with the balance question is also like you mm -hmm. know business balance with business and um and arts how do you make those things happen mm -hmm. yeah and, you know, I think there, there's been some talk about pie charts and everything, but the teaching is the main part of my income. And um, like I said, I teach anywhere between three to five classes per semester as an adjunct, and I teach between several universities. Well, mm -hmm. right now, it's just between two, the University of Akron and Kent State University. And I really, really love, absolutely love teaching. And I teach a variety of classes, uh, from drawing one all the way up to drawing three. This semester, I get to teach painting, which I'm really excited about, an intermediate painting class and a two-dimensional design class. So, you know, there's there's the balance in that prep. You know, I have kind of an internal rule to myself that even if I teach, and that even if I teach later at night, that, you know, after eight o'clock, from eight o'clock till midnight, that's kind of my studio time. So no matter what, mm -hmm. even on the weeknights, that's gonna be my, my studio space. Um, and if I choose to read a book or to catch up on some schoolwork during that time, then, I have to be cognizant of saying, yes, you can do this, but no matter what, you have to be in the studio at some point during that time. So that's like my one rule of balance that I have, because if I don't have a connection with my studio, then like at the end of the week, I just, I feel funny and I don't know why. And I've, over time, yeah. I've figured out that that's, that's why. It's because I haven't given myself that headspace to just let go. But in terms of like the business part of it, the, if there's one thing that I always, always do, it's I always have a business card in my pocket. So no matter where I go, go out to openings or anything, always have a business mm -hmm. card in your pocket. I can't tell you how many artists don't do that. You never know if you're going to meet that, that person for the first time. And maybe they want to buy a book, right? Or maybe they want to, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they're just interested in how you describe your paintings or how you describe your, your overall practice, and they want to support that. You you don't know mm -hmm. who you're gonna who you're gonna meet. So I always have a business card in my pocket. I try to keep my website updated, and I, I've heard various feedback on, well, how much work do you put on your website? And uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned with social media is somebody's always watching you, not in a weird way, but in a <laughs> curious way. Like you, people yeah. are really interested in what's coming out of your studio. So I've recently gotten the practice of in the last year of keeping my website updated. Um, and that's been really beneficial to me. Um, so there's, awesome. if there's a couple of things um, that I would definitely 
recommend. <laughs> those would those would be it. Um, yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, but like pricing the work and uh, you know selling the work and uh, I'm not the best with that. I'm I'm really really good with you know selling books, but <laughs> maybe not my my big paintings. <laughs> I, I sell a lot of books, but um, not so much with the with uh with paintings but um i am working with a new gallery and they're they're kind of helping me with that i think it's probably a constant learning experience and i mean just from being alive for the 27 years i have been i know that things are you know different this year than they were last year and they'll be different next year and you know there's always there's always some new way to do it and you just kind of got to go with the flow and learn as you learn as you go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that there's, you know, selling a, a paintings in the early 2000s are, are much different than selling paintings now. I think people yeah. um, in even younger entrepreneurs and people that are coming into new money who are going to be potential buyers, well, they'll buy right off your website. And maybe a gallery is is a foreign idea for them. So there, mm. I think there's a total shift in the way that artwork is being sold and introduced. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I'm I'm trying to kind of navigate that in many ways in in internally, and I'll just you know also just trying to understand okay, you know who's who's going to buy a painting online versus who's going to buy a painting in person? Is there, is there a difference of the biggest difference for me, obviously, is when you see one of my paintings in, in person or, or anyone's paintings in person, you're going to respond to the materiality versus responding to that flat screen. And I think that that, that screen mediates so much in a weird way that, mm-hmm. that, that really kind of becomes a negative for somebody that is super, you know, into, okay, I'm going to make something shiny, I'm going to make something matte, I'm going to make something three-dimensional, but you can only see it if you're in front of the thing. So, you know, that, yeah. that, that becomes um, a, a little bit of a problem when you're, when you're constantly just looking at stuff in line. So, you know, I, I love to show work um, as much as I can because of that. Yeah, and that's a fair point. I definitely get that a lot with my fiber work, where when people are seeing it in person, they're like, oh my god, it's soft, and here's a cactus I can hold and it's no problem. And like people respond to the tactility of it. Whereas online, it's like, oh, wow, this looks good. I'm like, yeah, but but knowing how small it is and like feeling it, that makes such a difference in the experience. I don't know. I know I, I would love to see stuff in person whenever I get the chance. Yeah. And I know you've even mentioned, Amanda, certain types of work will, will sell better for you online versus in person. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's a great point that you made, Jen, because it's a real challenge that, that comes along with, you know, the greater exposure that the internet brings and kind of being able to reach this wider audience of people is that question of, well, what type of work is maybe best suited um, for that platform or to be sold in that way? Because I do think it's, you know, really amazing that anyone throughout the world can connect with your work, um, which is something that, you know, is is different from, from decades ago. So I think that's hopefully really promising for, you know, for us as artists, but it also does prevent somewhat of a barrier for people who aren't going to get a chance to experience your work in the way that um, you made it because, you know, we're, we're visual artists that make really tactile, physical things. And so that's also a really big part of a big part of the work. So um, yeah, that's interesting. I think that it can be a great platform for, for exposure for potentially selling work, but it, it certainly creates barriers in, in other ways. 
Is that something that you've, you feel like you've been able to leverage or have you sold paintings directly off your website in that way? Or do you feel like it's, it really has come through personal connections? Yeah. And in person, sorry to interrupt, but there's always been like an in-person sale with a painting Mm -hmm. or uh, what I, the paintings that I was making between 2002, 2004 ish and 2008 or nine were super shiny and although they were oil on canvas, they look like a photograph. They had that like super Richter-esque mm-hmm. kind of surface. And then they, I had a, like a, a glaze on top of them that was a, it was a heavy, heavy Gal Kid finish. So they, they had this photographic, this glossy photo look to them. So when you, when you saw them in person, you thought it was a photograph and then you realized it was a painting. And that was like the aha moment. Um, and I think with the work that I'm doing now, when you're actually in front of it, in some cases you feel like your hand can like reach into that space almost. Mm-hmm. And I use color changing paint in, in some of my new oh, paintings. Wow. So, you know, when you're on one side of the painting, you'll see like a greenish red and the other side is like a violet red. So you can't, you can't necessarily have that experience online. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it takes a really awesome camera. I don't quite have that camera yet, but it, you know, yeah. it, I think, and I think it would take some ingenuity between me and the web developer too, to kind of figure out how to get that, that to happen. But, um, to answer your question, no, not yet. And I'm, I'm hoping either that that might be a possibility in the future, maybe with flat work. And also just with shipping and accommodating, you know, an online sale, that might be a possibility. But on the flip side of it, I think one of the things that I've also used um, my, my book arts practice for is to figure out how to do that correctly, like how to sell stuff online uh, more efficiently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if I'm doing one thing with one sort of art practice to feed another, it's figuring that that e-commerce sales yeah it's almost it sounds like a trial for you to be able to then apply that into your painting yeah so I'm, I'm definitely ready for that hurdle that transition in the fine art work you know surviving as an artist is a real thing and keeping a studio practice alive and having the funding to make new work is uh, is a reality so you know however you you have to do that you have to do that um, as mm-hmm. the maker I think that that's just a question you have to answer. Is there any final um, advice that you'd like to leave us with or advice that you would have given yourself at an earlier point in your career? There's a lot of advice that I would love to go back and give myself um, (laughs) 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 now. (laughs) I think that... um, one of one of the pieces of advice, you know, I'm a little bit older than than myself, and and I was really um, anxious, I think, as a young artist, um, and it, I, I think if I were to meet my younger self um, walking down the street, I would say just you know try to breathe more and know that it eventually will work out to some extent, and not beat yourself up so much about it if you don't get into that show or you don't get into that magazine, um, just don't give up. I know it's it's kind of a cliche to say that, but it puts a barrier or a shelf in front of some things that you really want to do by, by constantly having that anxiety. And it's, um, I think it's unfair. The, the other thing I would tell myself, I guess, is that um, just to, you know, keep making and um, eventually your work is going to change and not to freak out too much about it. Like if, if, if I would have told myself, graduating from undergrad that I was going to make installations, I would have been like, oh God, hell no, that's not going to, that's never going to happen. <laughs> but it's, it's been the coolest experience, you know, being invited out to, being invited back to Denver, being invited to 
Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or to various cities to, to do an installation. And, and by the way, I, I make those in hours or days. So I have a number of hours or days to, to make something on site. So I have to know, as soon as I hit the ground, I have to know exactly how I'm going to do it. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I guess that's, that. right now, that's the only advice that I could think of that, that I would probably give myself. And, you know, I was thinking about this question also, and um, I always say that I, I should have told my younger self never to leave Denver, but if I would have stayed in Denver, I probably wouldn't have the current opportunity that I do, which is, I'm really thankful for, so... I can't say that any longer. You know, as much as I love uh, mm -hmm. all my friends and family and, and everyone in Denver, I'm really thankful for the change and the opportunities that I've, I have now. So I'm just kind of rolling yeah. with it. I wanted to give you guys my favorite quote. Oh, sure. sure. Every, every year I make a, a goal, a list of goals that I want throughout the year. Oh, yeah. And I'm looking at my, my list from last year. And I have my quote on there. It's my favorite quote in the world. It's by Bradbury Thompson, a graphic designer. And it states, without dreams, there is no need to work hard. And without hard work, there's no need to dream. Love it. Yeah, that's great. I also, I love, I hope it, that it doesn't go unnoticed, just what you said about even writing down your own goals and dreams for the year, because I think that that is so valuable. And it's, it's something that I've only started to do in, in the last maybe a year or so, or, or even month by month. And I feel like the kind of clarity that brings, or even when, I don't know if you feel when you're not consciously working towards those goals, being able to look back on something like that um, is such a good reminder of where you were at. And I found that um, actually when I was unpacking things um, here after moving to San Francisco and you know going through and trying to purge all of my personal belongings, um, I came across an earlier journal, I think from when I was in college. I had done that kind of exercise and not in any strategic way. And then I probably stopped for a couple years afterward. Um, but just going back and finding that was so wonderful because I had listed all these things that I really wanted to do, like um, you know, travel abroad for a residency or get one show in the city or, you know, just things that now I can look back and say, like, I actually did those. And I don't think that I was consciously going after them because I wrote them down. But I think they were just sort of, you know, in the back of my mind, and, and they really did. And I was sort of pursuing it without realizing. So I, I love hearing that you're you do that, too. And I think it's such a great practice that everyone should do is just writing down really everything they want for their future. And you never know at what point you'll be able to look back and you'll have just checked everything off on the list and you'll have to make a new one. You know, it's funny yeah. that um, I, I've done that for the last couple of years and I have both of these lists in front of me right now, just, just in case I was like, well, there's the quote. I want to make sure I read that quote, but <laughs> they're pretty similar. And I could say that that one goal I've been able to keep two years in a row and that's pretty awesome. And oh, this goal, this is new and I'm doing it, but you know, I only put a couple on there, but it's like amazing that if you do that, I, I always do it like in December or January 1st, I, I write mm -hmm. the goal list. Um, and if, if everything's still going like seven or eight months later, or if everything's completed seven, seven or eight months later, then it's been a good year. Yeah. And I'm sure just looking back and seeing that there's similar goals year after year really helps you hone in on um, what is truly important to you. And maybe some things don't make the list, you know, the second year in a row, but being able to just really identify like, wow, I was really, you know, thinking about these things years ago. And 
um, it's still something that's really important to me. And that kind of awareness is really valuable. Yeah. And there's something really powerful about writing something down. You're putting it out into the world so that you can actually manifest this goal and this intention and make it a reality. Yeah. And it's, um, I think it becomes super meaningful. You realize you've accomplished it to some extent or you've been able to prolong that, that particular goal. And that's the zest. That's right there. <laughs> uh, do you have any resources that we haven't mentioned thus far that you find super helpful moving forward and with your art practice and running a business and whatnot? Well, the business part of it, you know, I'm, I'm still coming back into in terms of, um, you know, when, when I lived out in Denver from 02 and to 06, I was, I think, pretty savvy with doing my quarterly taxes and reporting on everything. And I think I'm coming back into that practice mm-hmm. now. But in terms of being an artist and looking for shows or just being a teaching artist and, you know, looking for the job board, I constantly frequent the College Art Association or CAA. Mm. And also for just um, artists that are looking for a list of professional practices, like how to put their resume together a little bit more carefully, like they have the master uh, breakdown of, of how to do all that and on their website. So I would definitely look at the College Art Association website. Awesome. Yeah. And um, to, you know, to plug some of the local resources that we have here, there's a printmaking facility called Zygote Press. They also have uh, residencies for printmakers and um, interested people that um, are, are working with printmaking in some way in, in their practice. Uh, and they do residencies, live-work residencies at, at Zygote, and they have an international exchange with um, artists in Dresden, I believe. So that's a local resource mm-hmm. that is in Cleveland as well. And also the Morgan Paper Conservatory is an amazing, amazing facility in Cleveland. They have, it's like 15,000 square feet of papermaking awesomeness. Wow. Oh. It's like you hit the jackpot real there. dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have a Kozo garden in the, in the back of um, the facility where they actually grow kozo and every fall they do they you know they grind down the the pulp and they make kozo fresh kozo paper uh the morgan is absolutely oh amazing i absolutely love the morgan all right well i'm moving to ohio <laughs> Someone tell my husband <laughs> and they do residencies as well so oh yes i just wanted to plug those those two places um those are definite gems that and the the soul train um, are, are gems to this area. Yeah, we can't wait to see what you do there. Um, and then could you just briefly say to where people can find your work going forward if they want to keep up with um, your your residency and just what you're up to in the future? Sure. Um, you can check out my website at omates.com. It's O-M-A-I-T-Z.com. I'm on Ello. I don't know if you guys have talked about Ello before, but Ello is another social... I think so. It's a creator's network. Um, it's a social media kind of creators network. So I'm really active on Ello, Instagram, of course, and Facebook. Um, I, I don't Twitter so much. I'm not a big tweeter, but um, I do actually have an account. Uh, but those those areas, so Ello, Instagram, and you can find me on any of those at um, Jennifer Omates. Um, two N's and two F's. I was my birth certificate, I have two F's in Jennifer. So just to make it nice and difficult for everyone. <laughs> I have two F's in my first name. Well, thank you so much for taking the time tonight just to talk with us. I'm I'm feeling so inspired and I really can't wait to go back and listen through again because I think that's been one of the best parts um, for us too. I don't know how you feel, Amanda, going back through and editing and 
um, there's probably at least three or four times that we'll go back and listen to each episode. And I just feel like I always pull something new from them. So I'm so excited that we got to talk with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, since I'm doing all the audio editing, I feel like I at this point have probably memorized most of the episodes, (laughs) Uh, just listening to them over and over again and making sure that everything lines up. And that there's no like weird background noises, like me constantly sipping my coffee while we record. I selfishly pretty much just do this podcast for my own personal knowledge. And <laughs> and I did want to put out there that uh, Jennifer reached out to us from hearing the podcast. And that was such a breath of fresh air to meet a new artist and to have this show actually, you know, connecting us with new people. And so for listeners listening now that want to reach out, please do, because we would love to talk to you and hear about what everyone's doing out there. Jennifer, thank you so much for reaching out and letting us pick your brain on, on your practice. Oh, sure. This I mean, this has been a pleasure, and it's been a pleasure, you know, to listen to your podcasts. Um, I, is it every week or every two weeks you have a, a new episode? Every other week, yeah. Every other week. Yeah. Um, I think it's so important. You know, for, especially for artists who have that drive and want to be super active, but there's either a barrier there or their community is really disparate. I feel like this taps into that that nucleus that they want to be a part of. And I, I think that this also is an extension of the community, mm-hmm. a community in the United States, but also even just a global community. It's incredibly yeah. important what you, you ladies are doing. And I want to thank you very much for doing this. Oh, absolutely. Oh, of course. It is our pleasure. <laughs> we love it. It's been an amazing experience putting this together and just being able to talk with people that inspire us yeah it really has been and thanks for being one of them (laughs) you are totally welcome yeah this has been great that's it for this episode of the beyond the studio podcast you can find show notes references and a brief summary of the episode over at our website beyondthe.studio while you're there be sure to subscribe to our email list where we have all kinds of exclusive content that we only have available to our subscribers thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time oh and don't forget to rate and review us on itunes because it helps and helps other artists to find us so tell your friends damn that's inspiring that's really good